Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Tech Marketing Podcast. This is going to be more of an idea generation session because we have the lovely Gareth. Some of our OG listeners might remember him. Say hello. Hey, hey. Nice to see you. We are bouncing around ideas right now because we are doing a lot of pieces on demand generation. And uh, Busby and I are known to be very big brain individuals <laughs> who are capable of coming up with a fantastic, fantastic piece of content. And so what does that make me? You're the, uh, you're the orator of us. You, you're, you're kind of um, <laughs> weird Jesus and God and you're Angel Gabriel. You're gonna, go and, um, you're gonna go and preach our gospel once we've given it to you. I mean, for yeah. all of our original okay. listeners, like, for all of our original listeners like Gareth, they may not have met you. Do you want to introduce yourself? So I've been uh, a senior writer here at Together for about six, six and a half years. Previously to that, my in a previous life, I was um, I've been a tech journalist and a tech editor um, for longer than I care to mention since the mid nineties, which is kind of scary. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure whether I'm gamekeeper turned poacher or poacher turned gamekeeper. It's one of the two. Uh, but as I say, six and a half years now together and, and enjoying every minute of it. And um, yeah, I, I guess I have a kind of foot in both camps when it comes to tech content. Well, today we're going to be talking about demand generation. Busby, uh, on the pre-call, you had an important question that we wanted to get out of the way. I've always thought demand generation and lead generation were, were really the same thing. But I guess, is lead generation a subset of demand generation? Like, what's Gareth, what's the difference between the two? How would you define them? Well, from, from, from my perspective, and I think it's probably quite important to talk about that kind of classic marketing funnel. Mm-hmm. Um, tofu, mofu, bofu, top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel, and, you know, hopefully leading eventually to close. And how that, how that ought to be used and how it's been regarded since it really first came to the fore was a mechanism for first generating awareness for your brand and affection for your brand and then hopefully some brand loyalty which then in turn generates some demand, which then generates leads. So, so far as I'm concerned, from, from my perspective, lead gen and demand gen are absolutely not the same thing. I still don't quite understand how... Have you already highlighted the difference or are you about to? Well, but this is, this is the thing. I, th- I think, to, to put it in perspective, it's seemingly a lot of B2B brands right now are trying to skip the demand, the, the brand awareness and the brand affection piece and trying to skip straight to leads. They're trying to close business and get sales right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. And I'm not quite sure why that's happened. Perhaps that's something to do with the speed at which the world now seems to be moving post-pandemic and post, uh, post-COVID post and post-lockdown. For whatever the reason is, certainly brands seem to be trying to skip straight to lead gen and trying to, trying to close sales. And, and really what you need to do, I mean, it, it's, it's really QED. I mean, you, you can't create a lead without first understanding whether there is demand there, and then nurturing that demand in order to turn it into a lead. Now, I hope, hopefully, that kind of that kind of mm-hmm. positions it a bit more accurately. Just for our listeners, like this is the way I'm thinking about it in my head right now. Like you have your top and middle of the funnel, which is brand and awareness, and then the bottom of the funnel is demand, and then right at the bottom is lead generation. Like lead generation is like the last thing that someone when someone submits that lead, that's the final step of demand gen. Is that is that one way of thinking about it, Gareth? I think that's the correct way of thinking about it. And, and seemingly, a lot of attention is currently being paid to tofu, top of funnel, um, to trying to convert um, leads that in some ways don't exist into sales immediately. Um, and so there's one of, the, one of the great stats that we've uncovered is that um, 
of of the hundred percent of your audience um, that you're trying to target, ninety five percent of those people are not in market and ready to buy at any given time. Uh, it's only a mere five percent of those people that you're trying to target are in market and ready to buy. Which makes perfect sense when you think about it. Of course, it does. Like, not everyone can be thinking, "I need to replace this hardware at that moment in time." So, Precisely. it makes perfect sense. But we, as marketeers, you know, sitting on the agency side, like we do, tend to see this shift towards. I need demand gen. I need leads. I need leads. Far too much, really, for the, for the, for the amount uh, that that is out there. Proof of that is that ninety two percent of B two B marketing budgets are currently dedicated to short term lead gen objectives. Just eight percent are focused on brand awareness and demand gen. Mm. Um, so what? So, so it, I mean, it's, which is extraordinary. So that ninety two percent is focusing on just five percent of buyers are in, who are in market. Um, which is really interesting because according to, uh, I think it's LinkedIn, some LinkedIn stats, 62% of B2B buyers now think that brands are selling basically the same stuff. There's 86% now see no real difference between suppliers and they certainly don't see um, or, or value any apparent difference enough to pay for it. Um, and, it and many of them even think that the kind of USP is dead. So and that so that really I think clearly demonstrates some of the folly of what's going on right now, and it's really important that it's a real. I mean, it's a real. We we talk about it in an ebook we've been we've been working on recently, where it's a really chicken and egg situation. You cannot create leads where there is no demand. Okay, so like demand gen, if you're trying to get dates rather than trying to get sales. Demand gen is like going to the gym and learning how to salsa dance, and then lead gen is when you're is that's when you're swiping on Tinder, and everyone's doing well, the well, swiping right now, but they're <laughs> out of shape and they can't do the salsa. Well, absolutely. I mean, strangely enough, you know, Harry, you know from experience how much I like a you know like a obscure film reference, and it kind of it puts yeah, me in I this do. line uh, mind of this line from The Eagle Has Landed when Robert Duvall says to his assistant. Um, they're talking about this plan, and he says, "Well, look, you know, rarely does a, a does a smile from a pretty girl at a party result in anything more material. But a man is a fool not to pro- not to push a suggestion as far as it will go. Mm. And that seems to be this kind of prevailing <laughs> kind of attitude right now. When, when actually, when actually, people want to be wooed. Dave Grohl has another great quote as well. He, uh, someone that said, you know, how do you sell so many records? And he said, you don't focus on trying to be the biggest rock band in the world. You focus on rocking and then you'll become the biggest rock band in the world. And right now everyone's focused on trying to sell records rather than trying to rock. Absolutely correct. I actually think, I mean, just thinking about some of the challenges we see with clients, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use a, um, is this an Anchorman quote? I think in a lot of cases, um, <laughs> our clients, you know, B2B brands out there are, are taking people for lobster dinners and just never calling them back. We also want to generate so many leads and then we're so rubbish at converting them as well. Um, or at least that's how it, it gets perceived. So like, let's, let's come back to the funnel. Like what, what, let's be really clear. What are the problems with demand gen and how it's implemented right now? And why is this coming up? Why is this a problem right now? So to take that point that you just made is that, okay, a lot of leads we don't we seem to be struggling to convert them well maybe that's because there weren't lead, really leads in the first place maybe they weren't mature we tried to turn them into leads we tried to turn them into sales before they were mature enough and, and people were ready to buy and that's certainly one problem I, as i said before i think it seems that one of the other issues is the the sheer speed at which the world now works 
I think one of the things, and oddly, we've, we've been talking a lot about creativity recently, and this really ties in very clearly to creativity. There seems to be a reluctance among a lot of B2B bands, brands to really buy into the importance um, of creativity and creative effectiveness, which is one of the points I'm going to make a, a little bit later. Um, and they don't put any real stock or value Again, in that. And and symptomatic is the really same important. thing. They're, they're trying to really double down on lead gen rather than rather than, they're trying to run before they can walk so you have to create the demand you have to create the 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 brand affection the brand awareness and you know, you want people to feel that you're yours is a cool brand and a trustworthy brand and a brand they should be listening to but not enough b2b brands are giving away enough ip giving away enough you know genuine genuine content to people and to their audiences to truly engage them they're saying, right, you know, you, you, want, you want to buy my Nutribullet, you want to buy my George Foreman grill, you, you know, how much do you want to pay for it? And instead, they've got, to be, they've, they've got to give them the schmooze and they've got to take them to the dinner and the show first. I, th- I, think, there's, I think there's something valid. Like, the, the way that I've heard this reference is when you get it right, the lead will come into the, come into the sales team and say, oh, you've caught me just at the right time. When in fact, actually, you've been there as a brand all the way along. Um, instead, we have this, and I, I really want to unpick this in a moment because it's it. There's, I'm seeing some trends at the moment that I think could be a key contributor to this. Um, but I think that the, you know, instead we just want to follow up. Like the the, we start with the best intentions with a marketing campaign, and it just turns into well, how quickly can we convert these leads and get them into sales? Absolutely. Um, and so. So you know, what is Gareth from your perception and from the research that, that you've done creating this creating this ebook uh, that we will of course be releasing soon. Yeah. Um you know what's what's your findings so far on why we end up tipping those scales away from awareness and brand towards demand gen so readily. Like what what's the pressures that that are causing that to to bubble over? Okay, I mean just to pick up on something you just said and again it's another little note I made. Um a, a, just touching on something you just said. Something my grandmother used to say to me years ago was, look after the pennies and the pounds will look after themselves. And this is what we're saying here. You look after the look after the demand and the leads will take care of themselves. If you don't create that urgency and awareness and affection and loyalty, you can't expect to then harvest any mm-hmm. leads at the end of it. So that's really that's really key. Um I think that as you really just hinted, and, and the, the long and the short of the problem is this sheer hunger and clamour for leads. SQLs, MQLs, you know, bank leads. Um, and the, the hunger for those leads is blinding a lot of marketing departments to where they actually come from, how to generate leads in the first place. There's such a hunger for them. And what I was going to say when, we, when I talked touched briefly on the creativity piece was that um, we create lead-hungry ads and materials. They don't gain any traction in market because they're not very good. Um, so then, because they don't gain any traction... They're not valuable, I guess. They're not valuable. They're not, they're not striking any chords with the audience. The audience don't respond. So what happens? Management yep. typically double down and say, well, we need more leads. Rather than saying, okay, what are we doing wrong here? And thinking about the creativity piece and thinking about demand gen over lead gen, they keep doubling down and the whole cycle begins again. Let's keep, keep putting this thread. Let's keep going here, Gareth. 
So having looked into this, and obviously we've done a lot of research on this, we have essentially found that they're, they're both problem areas and therefore pillars upon which um, B2B brands perhaps should think about focusing. Uh, and there are five of them. Um, and we, we kind of loosely call them the, the five key components for building what we're calling this kind of a supercharged demand gen engine. And we can kind of talk about each of them in turn. I'm happy to I'm happy to sort of talk about them as a whole or each of them in turn. Um, the, the the first is knowing your customer. The second is creative effective effectiveness piece I was just talking about. Then you must think about the third is your content and gating strategies. The fourth is innovation, which I realise is a broad church, but there it is. And the fifth is really important, which is testing and optimization. Let's let's dive into them one by one. But I just I, I'm going to put a tinfoil hat on for a moment as well. Actually, just just bear with me. Like I've, and this is going to sound awfully political. And I don't mean it to be that be that way. But I also just think. Uh, so I've recently um, uh, bought a bought, bought, you know, had the benefit of of getting a new newer car, and there it's you can definitely feel the car manufacturing the entire order, ordering process is now focused around quarterly targets. And I feel this is going to be a bit cynical. You know, one of the biggest pressures that cause us to get to this place is this constant drive now for increasing revenues quarter on quarter. Um, and B2B ignoring the fact that sales cycles in B2B and especially B2B tech are longer than a quarter. And it's just, it's almost like we just go, yeah, 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 yeah we know, but we need leads now. There just isn't that connection where we're, we're, we're tying that up and, and, and doing something about it. So I don't, that's going to sound a bit cynical, but I honestly think um, that some of the, the quarterly pressure drive that has been bubbling for the last two years because, because of the, the, the rise coming out of COVID, um, and especially now given, given the, the state of the economy, is causing that refocus on the wrong kinds of metrics. I don't think you could be more right. I mean, I, th- I think particularly in B2B marketplaces, in, in, in technology being obviously the, the, the key one, since I've been working in tech, particularly high-end enterprise, high-ticket value um, technology, it was never a quarterly sales cycle. And if you're talking about something like uh, your average SAP implementation, you're talking, you're talking about sometimes two or three years before it gets the green light. And ten years before it's implemented properly, and and there is there is definitely, and this is something else we've discovered uh, in the research for this. There is a definitely a definite trend towards some short term thinking, a real short termism, and and mm-hmm. it, and, it, and it's interesting because way back in the day, you know, yes, the, the, the pressure on quarterly sales targets was always present, but it was all about pipeline, otherwise known as funnel. Yep. And what, and how that was treated. I mean, the, the business you are writing this quarter was created from demand four quarters ago. And I th- but I th- there is there is a real this sort of this short termist thing is, you know, I need to create a lead on you know day one of the quarter and close it by day ninety of the quarter. Which it's just it's just I mean, maybe if if you're in a B two B sales organization or B two B marketing organization as well and you disagree with us like I want to hear from you and say and and see how you're fixing it because I I can't shake that cynical feeling that you exactly what you just you mentioned there Gareth is happening and and 
we need to move. I think organizations that are win that will win in the next few years will be ones that look at revenue and pipeline as the right targets and move away from short-term targets like MQLs into sales because all you're going to end up doing is actually alienating your customer base long-term because you're trying to follow them up too quickly. That certainly accords with some of the research that we've done and some of the material in, in, in some of the content that we're creating. Let's jump into how we can improve the situation. So what t- talk us through, what, what was the first point? So the, the, the first point is you've really got to know your customer. And I think there is, there is a definite... Um, arrogance may be too strong a word. Um, there is a definitely a presumption among some brands that they, they know who their customer is, when in fact they perhaps don't, or they don't know them nearly as much as they think they do. So among the things we've, we've, we've discovered, are, you know, I mean, are your customers actually who you think they are? Um, you know, buyer habits, buyer journeys, you know, buyer demographics, um, buyers themselves are changing. Um, and that's, and that's really quite key. Um, that there are far more digital natives now. Um, there are the the, the, mm. the IT decision making audience is shifting. It's much more female now than it's ever been. About thirty, over thirty percent of IT employees are now female. Sixty percent are millennials. Yeah, you know, they are tech natives. They're real kind of activists, kind of kind of people. Um, these are people who who really do do more due diligence on on vendors and possible buying options than perhaps any of their their kind of predecessors did. Um, they and they expect these you know, the real, really high levels of user experience and personalization and and all that good stuff. So on that basis, it's it's really really important that you give them those experiences. You give them the you you you, you, you play to the things that they're looking for. Um, and, and 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 happily, that's starting to happen, but not nearly enough. Hmm. Mm. I've heard a stat that it's like 43% of B2B buyers don't want to engage with sales at all. Yeah. Um, you know, they want to, they, they, they just want to come in, do their research. Normally, you know, if again, I'm going to put my, my tinfoil hat on here, normally in a agnostic, brand agnostic way, they don't necessarily want to read your white papers um, that, or, or sponsored content. They want to see peer reviews and, yeah. and uh, you know, hear from people in similar situations. And, you know, ideally, they I think they want to go all the way through the process without ever having to engage with anyone. Like we we've got some trials we're looking into at the moment about trying to, uh, you know, display enterprise pricing on a personalized level. That all that we, we actually our theory is our hypothesis is that call for a, a, you know call for a price where you've got to engage with a salesperson is actually off putting. Um, so you know, I I. I think I think that's an absolutely vital thing that we need to understand is, and I hate to t- talk about Gen Zs and Millennials and all that kind of stuff, but es- essentially, you know, B two B buyers are now much more digital native and much younger than they ever have been, and they you know, don't want to have to speak to people. Um, they absolutely. <laughs> I don't know if you use the phone functionality in your phone, but I rarely do. Um, so it, you know that that's that's just that's just yeah where we are. Like, but. But you mentioned a few other points there, like it's important to know your audience. Like, what are some of the steps that you would go through to to get to that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and just to, just to pick up on one of the one of the stats you just mentioned, um, one of the, one of the key pe- one of the key stats we discovered was that B two B sales reps now command only five percent of customer time across a buying journey. To me, that's an extraordinary statistic. But to to, to 
talk about some of the some of the measures. You know, okay, you, are you? It's important to um, remember that your first of all, your audience is no longer just IT decision makers. The um, decision making units are much bigger now. Um, so it's it's important to broaden, you know, widen your net beyond just IT decision makers, and also think about people who's um, who may not be in decision decision making job titles today, but who are very likely to be in the next six, twelve, eighteen months time. And if you see, so really, you really can't afford to ignore those people. Um, yeah. It's important. So so you know, expand your target jobs job titles. Um, in start nurturing relationships with with influences and you know who are essentially mm-hmm. tomorrow's decision makers and, and and think about really think about the fact that 95% of your audience isn't really quite ready to buy just yet but you can't afford to ignore those guys either mm-hmm. it's important to you know you, you need to be ready when they are ready to buy um it's important to think about that the fact that the buyer journey is changing. Also, it, it, it's much it's, it's it's much less linear than it's ever been. It's longer and more complicated. There are people coming in and out of the kind of buying cycle almost all the time. Um, one of the things that one of the things that Gartner have said is that you know over eighty percent of the typical B two B purchasing of a typical B two B purchasing decision happens before any direct engagement um, and also things like think about what your, your your nurture programs and what you know what they look like do they actually nurture the audience what does genuine nurture look like <laughs> what does genuine nurture look like that's a whole other podcast <laughs> um, perhaps perhaps something we can pick up again in future don't give me what one might do but give me the effects of genuine nurture perhaps I'm going to jump in on this one, Gareth, just quickly, like because I, I was just going through my research on this. The um, like, there's a great uh, model by Gartner. Like the, the traditional way of nurturing is like someone's filled in a form. We should call them, right? Makes sense. It's logical, probably in our set, mm-hmm. in, in, in in all of our brains, to be like, right, someone has um, performed a high effort activity, um, and that could be as much as downloading a solution guide, right? And we've come onto your gating stuff in a moment, one of your gating points in a moment, Gareth, I think. But actually what you need to do is map those, the content they've been engaging with against where they might be in their buyer journey. And your buyer journey is going to be different based on your, or your organization. But yeah, broadly, it's going to be, do they understand the problem they have? Do they, are they, are they looking at the right types of solutions? Have they determined criteria? Are they ready to select a supplier? Right, broadly, those are the kind of uh, Gartner Gartner stats, and so you should align when you follow up with them against those, not against have they spent more effort filling in a form or reading a guide, because that guide might be a white paper right at the beginning of the journey. Which you know what they're just doing their initial research; they're just trying to understand who the players are. They're not ready to speak to a salesperson yet. Um, so it is. It's that. It's it, it's an. It's actually quite a nuanced way of rethinking that nurture journey but i think that's what a good n- nurture looks like is is your is your putting yourself in their shoes and you're reaching out to them at the exact moment in time when they're ready to start selecting suppliers not when they're performing the research or just or you know, just having a look around it's really important not to base you know lead maturity on, on what you know where people are in the buying cycle in terms of how what they've downloaded and what they what they haven't haven't read um, and yet that is certainly becoming a habit in B2B and, and not a healthy one. 
Let's move on to your second point, though, though Gareth. So, because I think some of these, I think you're you're one of them is around gating content. So, what's our second um, finding? The second one we touched on a little bit already, which is really creative effectiveness. Um, there is, as, as I've said, there is this kind of a, a definite tendency towards focusing on the, focusing on the short term, um, which means that B two B brands are kind of failing to build the kind of memory structures and mental emotional availability they need with their audiences. I mean, there's been really some really shocking stats uh, from LinkedIn recently where, where they rated B2B ads. You know, one star meant no market share or growth and five stars equated to about 3% market growth. 75% of them, of those B2B ads, but those B, of those B2B ads scored one star or less. And that really ought to tell us something. I mean, again, I think that's I think that's a really extraordinary statistic. And according to the uh, to the B two B Institute, something like seventy or eighty percent of uh, of of those B two B ads have no brand building effect. And now, if if that isn't a, a kind of wake up call, I'm not sure what is. So, creative effectiveness is is really important. And I know we've touched on that briefly already. Um, it's important for for brands to get a bit more emotional and get a be and be more creative to to kind of pick pick the right idea think about think about um going to market with ideas and and, and true creativity rather than again just defaulting immediately to this lead gen mindset and leading with speeds and feeds and, and as you know as as, as some b2b brands habitually do i i think yeah just concentrate on making Getting your content across, you know, providing value and getting it away in the, across in the best best format, and then the, you know the, the, it's a little bit filled of dreams. Build it, and they will come. But I guess it's kind of true <laughs> in this case. <laughs> yeah, but it's, but it depends. You know, there's 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 building the product product to the service and assuming they'll come. But more, but, but, but you know, what you really need to do is you know build the build the demand, and the leads will come. So, what's the third component? It is content and gating. And it's another it's another area where where brands have to be really careful, and um, they don't want to be you know it's it's not a good idea to 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 gate content which basically doesn't deliver because it's so transparent. You know, you're asking me for my details. The content I'm getting better be worth it. Um, and you know, do I do I really want to give you my details at this point? I'm, as you said earlier, John, I might be really early in my research cycle. If I do that with every site I visit, I could be filling in forms half the day, um, which is which is not great, and and it won't go down well with with the audiences with the the new audiences we talked about earlier. Um, also, there, there's so much content out there right now. Um, a, a lot of decision makers are saying they've got there's just so there's there's much more thought leadership content than they can they can shake a stick at. It's just there's just too much of it, and worse than that. The huge majority of it, something like three quarters, you know, provides is, is said to provide no valuable insights, um, which is again, which is another obviously a big red flag when it comes to creativity. You know, don't it's really important to engage people on the human level, and if you're not doing that, it's it's going to show. Um, and it, and a big majority, a, a, you know, a big chunk of those people will move on if the content doesn't grab their interest. Um, so it's important. Personalization is going to be really important, obviously. Um, 
trying trying to engage engage audiences on, on a much more, if not a one to one basis, on a much more human personal level. Um, and also, don't be too, if you like, don't be don't be too uh, confident in the quality of your own content all the time, particularly if you haven't done the creative work that's needed. Um, and, and probably lastly there, it's important that B2B brands start thinking much more like publishers um, and to build, build this reputation for delivering you know, high quality, you know, valuable assets to their audiences and, you know, you know, preferably on an ungated basis, which will, which will then kind of engender that value exchange so that, the, you know, the customer, you know, will grant access to their data, give access to their data, because, not because they're desperate to see this particular piece of content, but because they trust mm-hmm. that the piece, that piece of content will be decent because they've, they've seen you deliver great stuff before and that they trust your brand. How do we know what's valuable before we get that feedback, though? Um, I would, I would hope as as B two B marketers that claim to know our audiences, we ought to know. I mean, we, we do a lot. We spend a lot of time talking to our talking about our personas. I think, I think that why here way too often, and I'm spilling all the beans today, aren't I? Um, is is oh we don't want to we don't want to this is too valuable we don't want to give away our secret sauce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now and and I think if you're asking yourself that as a marketeer or you're hearing that from your teams then i think you need to you you, you, unless it's patented or patented depending if you're in the uk or us unless it has some element of proprietary technology embedded in it that you don't want to share i I think you're probably overcooking it like you know if if one of your what's going to happen if one of your um target audience find that piece of content and find it valuable they're going to come back and they're going to speak to you they're going to remember um, who, you know where they where they found that content. I would say HubSpot do a great job of this. Probably were the best. Probably the best example. They always led with inbound marketing beforehand, and uh, you know they were the first first really to to coin that phrase. Um, but you know I just hear it way too often. Like oh no, we don't want to give too much away. We don't want to we don't want to give away all of our secrets. And it's like it, guys, it's it's not it, if it's not covered by some patent you know, some protection anyway. Even if it is, like they're probably still going to steal it. It's going to get out there somehow. You just want to, yeah, be the person that people know that it was stolen off at the very least. <laughs> exactly. Like there's a there's a great um, book I'm reading at the moment. It's a little bit of a tangent. This like called, yeah, essentially it's a movement in the productivity space to um, essentially build a second brain. Like we were all overwhelmed with information currently right so it's about how you index that information and most importantly how some of the best ideas are just remixes of other creative ideas and other suggestions that you've seen out there it's you know it's a it's the start of a framework from x and it's some a quote from y and a and a and, a, and an end from z like it, it's piecing those bits together that makes your knowledge unique and i think you should share that uh, with the world, I've gone off on a massive tangent there, but I, you know, my view is, I think brands need to share more. Like, I'm, gonna, I'm going to say it. There we no, go. No, I I, I, I completely agree. But one of the things, and you know, kind of, kind of going back for a minute, a minute to what Harry's dating analogy. If you're sitting on a date with someone, you know, do, do you want to sit and talk about yourself all night, or do you want to hear about them? 
you know, you're not going to have a very successful date if you say, "Well, I do this, and I'm great at that, and I've got this car, and I've and I I'm, and I'm wonderful." Mm. Because what what, what the, the the person you're on the date with wants wants you to ask about them and listen to them, and and you know, and I think a lot of be, a, a lot of brands that they they, they they get very obsessed and they make this assumption that everyone wants to hear about them. Now, what people want to hear about is how you address their problems. You know, are you interested in them, and, and do you know who they are? And I think that's mm-hmm. and I think that's really mm-hmm. and I, I think that's really important. I, I think actually you yeah you've you've hit the nail on the head there you've hit the nail on the head there it needs to be valuable to the customer right. like you need to be solving their problems yes not talking about how your product has the best speed and feeds and and some of the other stuff that you mentioned yeah so I think yeah that 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 I think that's that vital point and yeah I I just don't see brand sharing enough so let's come on to our fourth one because I think this is one that personally I'm going to get excited about yeah I, I should think it is so. <laughs> Our, our, our fourth, um, our fourth component or, or component or pillar is is innovation. Um, so there are all sorts, all manner of engagement channels and strategies, and God knows what else. They're all competing for your audience's, you know, audience's time right now. Um, so, I'm had, so how do you go about innovating? And I'm, and I'm certain, John, you're going you're gonna to have much more to say about this than I can. <laughs> but the one thing is, the one key takeaway for us, I think, is you need to, innovation is really important, but do it in increments. You know, don't get too carried away. Um, and a really good model for doing that is what we call a, a 70-20-10 model. And, and I think that's probably your cue, John. You caught me off guard there. I wasn't expecting to go straight into the 70-20-10 model. No, that's, that's awesome. The, yeah, I think, I think with innovate, there's two things that go around my head with innovation at the moment. Right? One is you have to make space for it, which is what the 70-20-10 model brings, right? So it's that, um, you know, how do you make sure that you're balancing getting the basics done with incremental improvements? And I come on to that with your point five, I think, Gary, I think that, 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 really leads into your point five, but also making room for the 10x ideas, the ones that could be explosive. But the biggest thing that I think brands forget about and when it comes to the 10x ideas, and this is what we talk about in all of our workshops. And if you if, if you're listening and you want one of these workshops, do just drop us a line because we're more than happy to run one with you. But the the biggest thing I think brands forget is your perception as a product, as a brand when a customer interacts with you is built around some of the techniques and the tactics that you use. And so something on its own, you know, we're talking a lot about the metaverse as an example at the moment, something like the metaverse, it may not actually be ROI positive. If you look at that channel in its absolute, in in complete isolation, if you just, if you just said, right, how many leads have we had through running a 3d event space that people can wander around and sit on chairs um, and pretend they're in Vegas, like probably, probably, you know, it's going to be hugely ROI negative, but, um, how, what your the seed that you're planting with your audience with, Hey, this is an innovative company that are willing to test and try new techniques. And actually I want to work with, I don't see a single RFP that comes up now that doesn't have innovation in. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it's, it's part of that overall mix and I think it gets too easily forgotten when you just focus on demand and lead generation and you just focus on, right, well, LinkedIn's converting better than Facebook. So let's pump all of our money into LinkedIn and just try and convert as many leads as we can out there. I think it's just so easily forgotten how important innovation is and trying innovative channels are as it, because you need, 
you need your audience to perceive you um, positively in that light. Uh, entirely. Just to square off um, what exactly what we mean by the 70-20-10 model, it, just, to, just to quickly recap is, first of the 70, 70%, it's, it's 70%, 20%, 10%. 70% is about using brilliant basics, you know, delivering against the goals you mm-hmm. need today. 20% is, is testing and learning to drive kind of near future performance with the 10% you know, innovating to push boundaries for the long term and those real, those real big 10x ideas. Uh, and obviously, that, that's, that's not set in stone. It's not hard and fast, but, it's, but it's, it's a good basis. Would you agree with that, John? Yep. It's been proven by big technology companies out there as a great way to break up, break up your project and, and just and make room for innovation. So that would be my tip uh, is really, are you making enough room for it? So what, what's our fifth point here, Gareth? What's our fifth component that makes up the new, the new approach to demand gen? Well, it's, it's, it's an interesting one, and it was one I, um, when putting this material together, I, I kind of assumed is fairly, fairly obvious, and, and, and perhaps isn't. Uh, and it's, it's, it's testing and optimization. Getting your arms, it's not just testing and optimizing, but it's getting your arms around what that actually means. And you don't just test and optimize once, it's an ongoing, it's a perpetual process. It's really important that, that you do, that you keep testing and optimizing. And, and not for the sheer hell of it, but... Um, it needs to be a long-term iterative process um, because if it's not, what's the alternative almost? So um, I tell you, a test and learn mm-hmm. approach is really, really important here. Um, and I'm sure, again, that's something yeah. that, that, that you buy into wholeheartedly. Absolutely. absolutely. Your like, we're actually spinning out a whole separate initiative actually together on this at the moment, aren't we? So like, I think it's... you. The the pressure of demand gen funnels as they are means that you're often just trying to fire something in and and you're moving on to the next the next campaign or the next idea um, quickly because you know because you need to generate more leads and so I do think brands that will win even if we even if you still are stuck inside that demand gen mindset and you can't change your CMO's mind the ones that will win will always be. Um, uh, the companies and brands that look at what they did last quarter and say, how can we improve that? And then religiously execute on it. Um, because that consistency is what builds, at the end of the day, builds results. So, you know, if, if, if I break down your point four and point five, point four for me, you know, we talked about 70, 20, 10, but really it's around making sure you make room for the 10x ideas. And point five is making sure you remember to make the marginal gains, the 10% gain ideas and so i think that's the make you know have room for 10 percent and have room for 10x because they both have a place to place in your demand gen funnel yeah, absolutely and it's, the, it's that whole you know the whole dave brailsford uk cycling model you know it was it was you know we won gold medals and silver medals and bronze medals and did it consistently by one percent increments um you keep exactly keep yeah by, by taking your pillow with you when you traveled absolutely absolutely <laughs> and all crazy crazy stuff yeah and, and and it's important to probably also important to remember then when it comes to testing and optimization it it, it it applies across lots of disciplines so you test and optimize it should be lead nurture but, but testimize your uh, test and optimize your kpis are they the right kpis you know test yes by all means test and optimize your creative test test and optimize different um creative treatments different creative channels different engagement channels keep keep asking the question that's it's really key 
But this is the thing. It's like mm-hmm. earlier I said that people don't know if they're putting out bad content to begin with. It feels like there's kind of a, a, a disjoint between how do we test and optimize if it kind of suggest if earlier there was kind of a don't put out anything bad kind of attitude. I think it's a tricky question. I mean, per- personally, um, I'm, I'm putting on John's controversial hat for, here for a, for a moment. If, if brands are putting <laughs> I'm passing out, him the tinfoil hat over to you. The tinfoil hat is on. <laughs> um, if brands are putting out poor content and they don't know it, well, they bloody well should. If we, if we know what's good and what's bad, then we don't need to test and optimize. It's, 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 that's very presumptuous because what we, what we believe to be good or bad, again, we're thinking about ourselves and not our audiences. And again, it's, we, might think, we, might, we, think, we might think we've created the most amazing piece of content, but if our audiences don't, don't buy into it and it doesn't gain any traction, then perhaps it wasn't. I, I think I, I, I can see where you're coming from here, Harry, which is like, surely if people know they're putting out bad content, then they're testing and learning and they should be putting out good content. I think, I think it's just, and this is going to come on to one of our final points, actually, which is, you know, what can, and what can, if you're, if you're in this situation, what can you, what can you do about it? Um, because I think a lot of people know they might be putting out bad content, but they're just, they're stuck about how to approach it and how to change, uh, leadership's view to be able to, to move them away from short-term models and into, into longer-term ones. Cool. I was just going to say, they need to come and talk to honest John Busby. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I need to, cool. I need to go and put my talk tinfoil hat away. I don't know why I've been so cynical today, but the, um, the, like, let's recap. Cause I think these are really valid, five really valid okay. points we want to go through. So first yeah. one was understand your audience, wasn't it, Gareth? It's, 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 it's know your customer. Um, yeah, it's, it's know your customer. Uh, but but don't make a presumptions and you know, don't think you know know your customer. What don't make that don't fall into the trap of thinking I already know my customer. You want to be really sure about that because the fact is the reality might just surprise you. Mm-hmm. The second is creative effectiveness. Don't be frightened of creativity and buy into its power because it really can help when it comes to d- d- demand gen and the leads you, you that you really really want at the end at the end of the funnel. Um. The third piece is content and gating. You know, be ca- you know, the kind of content you create, the personalization, and you know, do you really want to hide that away? If you're going to gate something, be absolutely certain a that it's worth gating, uh, um, and b that that the audience is, is is going to want that piece of content enough to give away their details um, and their data. The fourth pillar is is innovate. Uh, mm-hmm. As you said, the seventy twenty ten model. Um, the fifth is testing and optimization, which is perhaps I, I, I think perhaps almost more more important than any of the rest, because if you if you're not testing and optimizing, you don't you're not really reflecting any of the any of the previous four. You don't really know how creatively effective you're being. You don't know how good your content is, your gating is. You don't how, know how effective your innovation is being. And you don't really know if you know your customer unless you're testing and optimizing. You know, I think the role of the CMO now is going to become even more important, right? It is a true board level position. And where we are moving towards is marketing. Marketing will overtake sales, sorry, sales, um, you know, in its importance very, very soon. You know, what can you, if your CMO is solely focused on on demand gen, what can you do to, what, what advice can we give our, our listeners? Make them aware. 
there is some there are some really compelling numbers out there we've we've discovered some of them and i th- i think we've only just scratched the surface and i would say you know you start tracking some of the newer metrics revenue against your mql pipeline like if you may not you may not have the opportunity to change um, some of the targets you have this quarter or even this year. But if you start tracking them now, you can at least begin benchmarking and understand where the leaks are in your funnel, where the hole, where the holes are, where, where, where people are being accelerated too quickly through it. Because one of the biggest objections I see is I don't want to move to this new model because then I'd have to stop. I'm not going to stop lead gen activity mid-cycle. That's madness. So you need to find ways of like just tweaking it, collecting a little bit more data here, ready for test and learning, um, you know, how, how can you start to introduce some of these new tactics slowly? Um, so it's not to upset everyone, but just, just begin to make, make some of those changes. So I think those last two points, innovation and test and learn, I think are the two most important actually, um, of, of the five, but Gareth, it's been a real pleasure to go through this today. It's been absolutely wonderful to have you back on the podcast. Um, and yeah, this has been another fantastic tech marketing podcast and yeah, we'll see you again in two weeks. Cheers guys. Thank you brother.